Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. We've been looking at how samadhi or jhana, the meditative state, is treated in the earliest texts. Much of this may be surprising to listeners because most people are more familiar with what the later Theravada tradition, as found in the Visuddhimagga, had to say about samadhi and jhana. But even beyond this, I'm articulating a perspective supported in the early texts that is often overlooked. I see samadhi as a state associated with joy, delight, serenity, and contentment that's non-controversial through which the cognitive and affective functions of the mind are progressively silenced, though not as much as most people think. It is the engine of insight and of knowledge and vision of things as they are, close to liberation. Almost everybody has trouble wrapping their heads around this, but this is repeated over and over in the early discourses. Moreover, samadhi makes its appearance often, spontaneously, naturally, and effortlessly. So far, I've mostly provided evidence for the naturalness of samadhi. The natural basis for samadhi can, I maintain, be understood in light of current cognitive research classified loosely as effortless attention. I find this enormously helpful for cutting through many misunderstandings. Functionally speaking, as we are intensely engaged in a particular challenging task, which could include Buddhist practices, requiring a degree of proficiency, the mind allocates its resources appropriately. It brings attention under control to center around whatever is relevant to accomplish the task, and then it shuts down slow, high-cost, effortful faculties that are otherwise a burden to immediacy of response. This process of natural human cognition is reflected roughly in the stages of the arising of samadhi. Just as an interesting tangent, in modern cognitive science, the mass of cognitive faculties are subjectively effortless or even unconscious and are sometimes called system one, the effortful aspects that get shut down, called system two, largely involve agency, choice, and explicit reasoning. These seem to center in different regions of the brain and System 2 actually consumes glucose at a far higher rate and tires more easily, a condition tellingly called ego depletion in cognitive science. We will see that noble silence corresponds roughly to System 1, 
and thought and deliberation, which gets shut down to system two. Recall that last week we ended by introducing the first and second jhanas. Thought and deliberation gobble up glucose in the first jhana, but then shut down to produce noble silence in the second, what I called quiet cognition last week. Many have puzzled over the question of how the knowledge and vision repeatedly attributed to samadhi, the highest attainments of wisdom, can possibly arise when parts of cognition are shut down in this way. In fact, we tend to sell silence short, for it is silent, not discursive cognition that is most directly associated with the highest level of expertise in task performance across the board. For instance, neophytes in any particular skill, say in playing the saxophone or in driving a car, are those who have to think and deliberate, while virtuosos are those who simply step out of the way to let the skill play itself out through them and even choke up if they try to think. The purpose of training is to turn discursive, glucose-hungry know-how into the much more effective, silent know-how in order to avoid the clumsy effort and slow pace of thought and deliberation in skilled performance. Moreover, at critical junctures, when the diamond is cut, when the winning basket is thrown, when the shot is fired, nature is known spontaneously and unannounced to shut down thought and deliberation. There's no time or energy for that now. And turn control over to the body to produce a remarkable condition that experts report as flow. The silent, effortless mind is simply faster, more reliable, and can encompass more subtle factors than the discursive mind, seemingly effortlessly. Often, expert first impressions, an intuitive hunch or a gut feeling, made in the blink of an eye before thought and deliberation are able to kick in, turn out to be more reliable than the result of effortful analysis. I will suggest later that it is through the continuation of silent cognition in the higher jhanas that samadhi bears its juiciest fruits, that samadhi would produce neither insight nor knowledge and vision if this were not the case. Let's talk about the third and fourth jhanas. In the third jhana, the antecedent factor of delight is shed, followed by all feeling of pain and pleasure to reach progressively even more profound stages of stillness and equanimity. Third jhana, with, with the, the fading, fading away, away as well of delight, he abides in equanimity, proficient and comprehending, still feeling pleasure with the body, he enters upon and abides in the third jhana, on account of which noble ones announce he has a pleasant abiding who is equanimous and proficient. Noteworthy here is the reference to proficiency and comprehension. Recall that proficiency comprehension, sati sampajanya, 
is the better part of right proficiency applied to the current practice task and certainly already present in the first and second jhanas, since right proficiency initiated the sequence of states resulting in samadhi in the first place. Their reintroduction here reminds us that it continues to operate on behalf of a primary practice task, even in silent cognition, and to maintain an ongoing attentiveness to the theme of samadhi. Fourth jhana, with With the the abandoning of pleasure pleasure and pain, and and with with the the previous previous disappearance of joy and grief, he enters upon and abides in the fourth jhana, which has neither pain nor pleasure, and purity of proficiency due to equanimity. Purity of proficiency suggests some new or further development of proficiency. Proficiency is something that is not only applied in practice, but is also developed, cultivated, and ultimately perfected in practice to produce virtuosity. Proficiency is memory, and it is there that the fruits of samadhi must be retained. Development and Cultivation Let's consider an example. As we pursue a primary practice task, right proficiency, that hallmark of engagement in practice, runs and circles around. And as a result, we may spontaneously enter samadhi. Beyond this, we're commonly encouraged further to develop and cultivate this practice by making a point of bringing it through the stillness and silence of the series of jhanas. For instance, metta, kindness, contemplation, is a common practice. It belongs to right resolve, around which right proficiency therefore runs in circles. When bhikkhu, your mind is firm and well settled internally, and arisen, bad, unwholesome states do not obsess your mind, then you should train yourself thus. I will develop and cultivate the liberation of the mind by metta. Make it a vehicle and basis, carry it out, consolidate it, and properly undertake it. Thus you should train yourself. If we apply proficiency attentiveness, attending to the arising of metta in one's own experience while recollecting the teachings about metta, all the while ardent and unhindered, samadhi is expected to arise. In the phrase, develop and cultivate, Development, bhavana, indicates an immediate growth of proficiency, and cultivate, bhuhulikata, literally done a lot, indicates repeated practice. The sutta continues, When this samadhi has been developed and cultivated by you in this way, then you should develop this samadhi with thought and deliberation. The first jhana is clearly intended in which we continue to think and deliberate. You should develop it without thought, but with deliberation only. 
You should develop it without thought and deliberation. You should develop it with rapture. Here we have reached the second jhana. You should develop it without rapture. You should develop it accompanied by comfort. Here we're in the third jhana. And you should develop it accompanied by equanimity. And finally, we've arrived at the fourth jhana. The development of metta benefits somehow from abiding in each of the jhanas while centered on this theme. The same process is then repeated as for metta, also for the three remaining Brahma-viharas, Karuna, Mudita, and Upeka. It is then repeated for the four Satipatthana contemplations, body, feelings, mind, and dhammas. These four practices belong to right view. They're concerned with internalizing dhamma, around which right proficiency also runs and circles. The question remains, how does samadhi benefit such practices? The Fruits of Samadhi In summary, right samadhi arises when we are engaged in a primary practice around which right proficiency, proficiency attentiveness, runs and circles to produce optimal effectiveness. In right proficiency, seclusion produces an unhindered mind. Unhindered and sufficiently ardent, the mind settles into one-centeredness or composure, a strict but flexible control of attention around the theme of relevance to the primary practice. This is samadhi. If feasible, discursive thoughts fall away and the mind becomes silent, or at least whisper quiet and highly responsive. The mind in samadhi continues to attend to its theme and is, in this sense, an extension of right proficiency ready to contribute its fruits to practice. The fruits of practice address the soteriological goals of Buddhism. The following are declared in the suttas to be the fruits developed in samadhi. Bhikkhus, there are these four developments of samadhi. What for? There is the development of samadhi that developed and cultivated leads to dwelling happily in this very life. There is the development of samadhi that developed and cultivated leads to obtaining knowledge and vision. There is the development of samadhi that developed and cultivated leads to proficiency comprehension. There is a development of samadhi that developed and cultivated leads to the destruction of the taints. Let's look at each development of samadhi in turn. Today we'll look at dwelling happily in this very life. The Bodhisatta recognized that there are pleasures that transcend mundane pleasures. When he recalled that, as a boy sitting under a rose apple tree, he had spontaneously entered the first jhana and found there that pleasure that has nothing to do with sensuality 
nothing to do with unskillful mental qualities. In fact, recognizing this distinction played a role in the Bodhisattva's subsequent development of the middle way, followed by his awakening. Mundane or everyday pleasure is based on sensuality, such as food, sex, money in the bank, adventure movies, bungee jumping, and booze. Such pleasures tend to be problematic, fraught, and unsatisfying because they are fleeting and get entwined with craving and attachment. In contrast, spiritual, immaterial, or non-carnal pleasure arises spontaneously in the states antecedent to samadhi and the self-centered perspective, and with it the allure of sensuality, dissolves as the mind becomes progressively unhindered, one-centered, silent, and equanimous. Once one experiences spiritual pleasure, one is eager to upgrade from one's more problematic sensual pleasures. Thereby, spiritual pleasure, aside from being valuable in itself, is an incentive for Buddhist practice in general as a substitute for the pursuit of mundane pleasures that keep us locked in sangsara. As we habituate and become adept in the practice of samadhi, we may find that we can enjoy the pleasure of the auxiliary practice of samadhi even without a clearly delineated primary practice. This is one of the refinements of samadhi in Buddhism. But then the remaining fruits will not manifest. I'll stop here. Next week, we'll continue to describe how samadhi produces its fruit, in particular knowledge and vision, proficiency comprehension, and the cessation of the taints. Most interesting in this regard will be the critical role of silent cognition in producing these results. This is exactly what has long been regarded as impossible by many, something like squeezing blood from a turnip. Noble silence, it will turn out, has very remarkable properties. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is s-i-t-a-g-u dot org c-i-n-t-i-t-a.